Jesus, thank you so much for, uh, for, for being the one that, that comes. Um, Lord, we said this to you in the, the first service. You are the one that showed up. That is what distinguishes you. That is what makes you so unique. You're not this, this God that we invented. You're not someone that we just imagined to make us feel like our lives have a purpose or anything like that. You are the one that showed up. You came for us. And it's our, our greatest honor just to respond to what you've done. And we love you so much. And we ask right now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, and we would learn from your word. And, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I want to ask a question that requires a little bit of, of openness and honesty if you're going to admit this about yourself. Some of you in the room may, may be, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, don't worry, you, you may not be good at, at giving gifts. You might be someone that when it comes time for Christmas or a birthday or an anniversary, that is, that is pressure to you. And you start freaking out because you don't know what to do. You don't know what to get someone. You have a hard time deciding on that. Um, you guys probably buy a lot of gift cards. That's okay. I'm one of you. I'm one of you. Some of us, though, there's another category. Some of us are not very good at receiving gifts. Anyone, anyone willing to admit that? You have a hard time receiving gifts. Like when someone gives something to you, you kind of go, oh, you shouldn't have. Or you, you feel strangely like guilt for someone giving something to you. And, and if that's the case, if you're like that, where someone gives something to you and you don't know how to respond and you just kind of go, oh, you, I really feel bad accepting this. If they give you something really good, you, you don't know what to do. You have no clue. You sort of stop and you, you almost feel tempted to want to give it back to them. You don't want to take it. You think to yourself, I can't accept this. It's just, it's too much and I don't feel like I deserve this. And that's, that's hard for you. Christmas must be a nightmare if you're wired like that. I think sometimes we're like that with God where where he wants to give us so much, but we just have a really hard time receiving sometimes. We, we feel bad for, for maybe wanting more. We feel bad for asking God to give us more. We feel like he's going to view that as selfishness because we can be wired that way. But, but see, that's not who God is. Last Sunday, we started this year. We kicked off 2016 with a brand new series called More because we're just being open and honest saying, hey, 2016, this year, we want to get more out of life. I want more out of life than I have ever experienced before. And see, we may feel guilty sometimes for for desiring more or asking for more, but we should never feel guilty for asking someone to give us more if they want to give us more. We shouldn't feel bad if someone gives us something that they want to give us and, and we simply have to receive it. And the simple truth about God is this, he wants you to have more. You shouldn't feel guilty asking God to give you what he wants to give you. In fact, I, I love this. This is something that Jesus said in John 10.10. He says very simply, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I have come so you can have more. God desires more for your life this year. God wants more for you. In fact, he wants more for you than you want for yourself. The reason God has higher standards for our lives than we have for ourselves is really simple. He believes more in us. He believes we're capable of more than we tend to believe we are. God wants more. And he wants you to desire more for your life this year. And so we are exploring what he wants us to have more of. Sometimes we get sidetracked, right? Sometimes we think we need more of one thing, but in reality, it's just a distraction. We need more of something else instead. Like I've spent a lot of my life thinking I need more money. In reality, I need more wisdom so I don't waste the money I have because I have plenty. Dave Ramsey has this phrase, I love it, stop trying to out-earn your stupidity, right? I love that phrase. And that is a phrase that sums up how I've approached my life financially for the most part. 
Sometimes we get off track, but I think for the most part, we're all pretty good at recognizing what we really need more of. And I would guess that this morning, you know, looking at yourself, doing a little bit of self-reflection, you know what you need more of. You know if you need more hope in your life. You know if you need more faith. You know if you need more forgiveness, more, more of an ability to forgive and let things go. You know if you need more patience. You know what you need more of. And God wants you to have more. So we can ask him for that. Last week, we got this started by, by asking God for more of him, just like we sang a few minutes ago, more of God. We want more of him because there's nothing he wants to give us more of than himself. And there's nothing that, that practically impacts our lives more than when we have more of God because we are spiritual people. You are a spiritual person. And when you have more of the spirit of God in your life, it affects every other area of life. We want more God this year. Next week, just a little, little teaser, we're gonna talk about more growth how at the end of this year, we can individually, personally, be better than we are right now. We want to grow this year as people. And today, we're going to talk about having more of something that I really believe all of us want to have more of. In fact, I would venture to say this is something that most of us in the room would like more of than anything else this year, and it's more of less. More less. I know that sounds a little confusing, but you know the phrase, less is more. That's true, right? Because there's probably a lot of us in this room that if we're really honest, we're looking at our lives saying, you know what? I'm good. My plate is pretty full. I don't really want more anything. I I want less. I want some things taken off my plate. I feel like I'm barely holding it together. I feel like I'm barely getting it all done. I've got so much that's pulling at me. I have things that are draining my time. I have things that are draining my energy. I've got so much in my life. I've got so many problems, issues, commitments, you name it, that I don't want a lot more this year. If anything, I'd like a break. I'd like, I'd like a little bit less. I'd like some breathing room in my life. Sometimes what we need the most of is, is actually less to deal with in life, less to handle. We want more of less. So how do we get that? How do we get that breathing room? Because it's not like life this year is going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to give you fewer problems. I'm going to throw you fewer curveballs. That's not how it works. Megan and I are expecting our third child here in in just about a month. Nathan and Katie are having theirs a lot sooner, which is awesome, right? That's good. With with Katie, who just sang, we're officially at that point where every time she finishes and has not gone into labor, I'm like relieved. I'm like, all right, good, we we made it. We made it, because they're they're due really soon. And see, when we have our third child, I am not expecting life to get less complicated. Right now, we get to play man on man. We have two kids. There's two of us. But, but all of a sudden, that changes. We're outnumbered. I'm not expecting life to get easier. I'm not expecting to have less to do when, when Judah comes. I know it's going to be more. And, and I don't really know how we're going to do it because it feels like we're barely getting it all done right now. I've got some ideas. I mean, I could really speed up the timeline on Liam, who's five. And if maybe by March he's mowing the lawn, that'll help. That'll be good. You know, I might get arrested for doing that, but... I think the officers, I'll say, hey, do you have more than two kids? Okay, you get it, all right? He needs to do this. I need some help. But life is not going to give me less this year. It's not going to give you less either. But, but if you want less, if you'd like a break, if you'd like some breathing room, if you'd like some, some ability to relax and rest and just breathe, you can have that this year. It's not going to be life that gives it to you. It's going to have to be something that we decide. How do we get that? In my experience... If you want, you want more of something, it's going to mean less of something else, generally, right? Like, if you want more convenience in your life, it's going to mean less money, because convenience has a price. 
If you want more time doing something you enjoy, it's going to have to come at the expense of time spent elsewhere because there's only 24 hours in a day. Anytime we want more of something, it means less of something else. And if we need less of something, we're going to need more of something else to, to fill that space. That's just how life works. I'll give you an example. My son Liam, five years old, awesome kid. He is like a clone of me. Not, not so much physically, okay? Way thinner than me, no beard. Like he doesn't look exactly like me. But, but from like a personality standpoint, he is my son. If you meet Liam and you see me, you have no worries, no questions about where he has come from. So Liam and I can believe this. We're talkative. We like to talk. And we wake up that way. In fact, we're both early risers. He and I usually get up an hour, sometimes an hour and a half before Megan and my daughter Lily get up. And we wake up ready to go. We're ready to talk. We want to make up for lost time. We just spent eight hours of sleep not being able to talk. We've got a lot on our minds. And so we just kind of wake up and we go and we go and we want to talk and hang out and have fun and play around. And that's our morning routine. We wake up, we play together. It's a blast. My daughter Lily, she's a clone of Megan. In fact, I've never known a person that is so much just completely one of their parents as Lily is with Megan. I mean, she is like a a clone. I'm serious. And and Lily and Megan, they are beautiful and they are sweet and they are kind and they are fun and they're they're so great. Past 9 a.m. They're they're like the most wonderful people. But if you catch them before 9, if the sun is not up, if you by chance wake them up when they're not ready to wake up yet, they're not quite as fun. I'm putting it nicely, okay? In fact, they're kind of like bears in that regard. When you think about it, like I don't know a lot about bears, but I know if you find a bear and it's asleep, you do not wake it up. You don't do that. They don't rise cheerfully. And so Liam and I, this is real, we have a code phrase that we use early in the mornings. We'll look at each other, and if one of us is being a little loud, and we think we might be about to wake Lily or Megan, and that's going to sort of put an end to the fun time, um, we just look at the other one and we say, shh, don't wake the bears. That's what we say. It's an actual phrase in our household. And, and Lily and Megan, they're fine with it. They understand. They don't want to be woken up. See, Liam and I have learned that if we want to have more fun in the morning, it's going to mean less noise, less volume. My daughter, Lily, I'll just give you an example because you've got to picture this. Uh, I'll have to wake her up sometimes. She'll sleep and it's time to get up and I'll go in her room. And some of you that have kids or have had kids, you know this feeling where you look at your children and they're asleep and they're wonderful and they're peaceful and they're beautiful and you realize it's because they're asleep that you feel that way. You know what I'm talking about? So... Lily will be laying there, and she's so just, oh, she's amazing. And, and I'll wake her up, and I do it very gently. I don't, like, flip the light on and start yelling. I just go up to her, and I say, hey, baby, hey, little girl, it's, it's time to get up. And this is her MO. This is how she wakes up. She opens her eyes. She looks at me, and she begins screaming at the top of her lungs the word no. She literally, she just sort of, like, opens her eyes and goes, no, no, no. She, wants, she doesn't want to wake up. In fact, two days ago, that didn't happen for the first time in a long time. I went in her room, and I woke her up. I did it the gentle, normal way. Hey, baby, it's time to get up. And, and this was awesome. She sat up. She didn't start screaming. I was ready. I'm, like, bracing myself for this, this onslaught of noise. She just sat up, made, made no sounds, didn't say a word, got out of bed, started walking toward me with her arms outstretched, and I'm thinking, this is a moment. My daughter is about to embrace me first thing in the morning. I have never woken up, or had her, rather, wake up and give me a hug first thing. That's never happened. And she walks towards me with her arms outstretched, but she wasn't coming to give me a hug. She put both of her hands on my knees and just began pushing. That's all. And she's not strong enough to actually push me. She's not even two years old, but, you know, I kind of went with it. And so she has a hand on each knee, and she's pushing, and I'm just backing up. And then I find myself in the hallway, and she looks at me and just shuts the door. Like that. That, that in a nutshell, describes my daughter, 
and my wife early in the morning. So if we want more fun, less noise, whatever you do, don't wake the bears. That's our philosophy prior to 9 a.m. If you want If you want more of something in your life, you're going to have to have less of something else. And if you want less, if you want less stress, you want less pressure, you you want less anxiety, less of that that feeling like the burden you're carrying is way too heavy to carry, you're going to need more of something in your life to compensate. You're going to need more of something to displace those things you need less of. It's just how it works. And thankfully, thankfully God, in his wisdom and his love for us, God actually gives us something, tells us, that there is something we can, we can give him more of that is the answer for less stress and less worry and less anxiety. There is something he asks us to give more of to him. And it's just one word. And if we, can, if we can have more of this in our lives this year, we'll have a lot less of that stuff we don't want. And the answer is commitment. I know you're underwhelmed. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. I understand. That's not what you're, you're thinking, right? I want less stress. I want less burden. I want less of that overwhelming feeling in my life. And the answer is more commitment, more commitment. That's not something that's going to make me feel like I have breathing room at all. In fact, you might be here today saying, hey, it's because of all my commitments that I'm so stressed out. It's because of my commitment to my family and my commitment to my job and my commitment to my children and to the church and to, you know, the community. And maybe you have kids that are involved in something. And so their commitments become your commitments because you have to take them there and pick them up And the last thing you feel like you need right now in your life is another commitment or a bigger commitment. How on earth can more commitment be the answer for having less stress? I promise that by the end of today, it'll make sense. Well, actually, I have a friend that reminded me this week not to make promises I can't keep, so I really hope that by the end of today, this will make sense. Otherwise, I've messed up. But I want to start, before we look at that and explore that, I want to start by backing up and just establishing something about God. Because see, in order for us to understand what God asks of us, we have to understand his character. It's impossible to really get and grasp the things he asks us to do if we don't know who he is. In fact, that foundations class that we we talked about a little bit ago, uh, the the first Bible study we're doing to kick it off is a, a Bible study on God's character because we've got to know him to understand what he asks us. We've got to know him to approach him the right way. See, there's this thing about God's character that's very important for all of us, and it's simply this. It is a priority to God, something he desires greatly, that you have breathing room in your life. God greatly, greatly desires that your life be lighter. He really does. You can look at the Ten Commandments, for example, to get evidence of this, Because I understand that that may not mesh with the idea of God that this world gives us. This world talks a lot about God. He gets a bad rap and God is often portrayed as this demanding person who just wants more and more. And the only way to satisfy him is to give him more and more, which means less and less for you. And by the way, that's the definition of religion, by the way. This idea of a God that's impossible to please and you have to do more and more and just maybe, just maybe he'll accept you. That is not who God is. That's not who God is. So the Ten Commandments, they're not really viewed in this, hey, God wants life to be lighter kind of context. We don't look at them that way. We don't go, oh, Ten Commandments, wonderful, just what I need. But it's it's amazing when you really think about it. The Ten Commandments, they're not really a burden. If you know the Ten Commandments, they're not exactly the pinnacle of human achievement. 
I had a, a pastor I was listening to that mentioned that. I never thought of that before. But he said, hey, look, look at the Ten Commandments. It's God setting a pretty low bar. This is not give all your money away. This is not pray two hours a day. This is not call your mother-in-law once a week and pretend like you like her. This is not something that, that really makes you feel like I'm doing above and beyond what a human being should do. This is God saying, hey, you know, don't kill anyone. Don't, don't steal something that's not yours. If you see someone else's wife, it's their wife. You know, it's, that's all he's asking. And we still need Jesus' help to do those things, right? It's hard. We really do. But it's not this crazy thing to ask. And yet in the Ten Commandments, this, this little piece of Scripture that's almost always viewed in this very burdensome light, we have this, this one statement in Exodus 20. It's the fourth commandment, actually. God says this, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household is to do any work. This is God commanding us to take a day off and rest. What a jerk, right? I mean, those of you who, who work for someone, what would it be like if, if your boss came to you and said, hey, this is really important to me. If you ever email a client on your day off, if you ever do a little extra work on your, your weekend, you, you come in for some extra hours, I'm going to be upset because it's really important to me that above all else, you take a break. Like that, that doesn't happen in the world. That's not how this world works. And yet God is saying, hey, it's really important for me that you rest. And, and see, believe it or not, religion kind of ruined this one too. That's what religion does. It just ruins things. And, and by the time Jesus actually came around, people had, had interpreted this to somehow be a burden itself. If you can make a day off feel like a burden, you are a special person. And that's exactly who the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day were. Because they had, they had interpreted this commandment and they had added all kinds of meaning that wasn't really there. And they would taken this really strict definition of work to, to be something crazy. Like, this is what they thought, literally. If you were hungry on the Sabbath, and I've used this example before, but it's just an easy one to think of. If you were hungry on the Sabbath and you have an apple tree in your backyard, as you walk into your backyard and you pluck an apple off a tree and you eat it and you enjoy it, you have just broken the Sabbath law. You've broken that commandment because you have worked. You have harvested on the Sabbath. That, that's literally what they thought. That's how strict their definition of, of work was. And so people didn't get to the Sabbath and go, oh, finally, a day to rest. People got to the Sabbath like, I hope I, I got everything set up and everything prepared so that I don't have to, to, to work today, so that I don't have to do anything because I don't want to break the law. And one day they found Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath harvesting. They were walking through a field and they were plucking little bits of, of grain from the crops and just eating it, just having a little snack, leisurely strolling. And they stopped Jesus and they said kind of this gotcha moment, aha, you have broken the, the, the commandments. You've broken the Sabbath. And Jesus, you know, being the one that sort of thought it up in the first place, understanding it really well, he says something to them and they just don't have a comeback and that's really normal. And actually for Jesus, here's what he says in Mark chapter 2, I love it. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And Jesus is so brilliant because he knows the order of things. He knows that God made people before he made the Sabbath. And he says, look, God made the Sabbath to bless people. He didn't make people to do the Sabbath. Do you understand? And they kind of just said, whatever. And they walked away. And Jesus won. 
And Jesus sort of restored that, that understanding that, no, God actually wants us to have rest. He wants us to have a break. And if that's not convincing enough, just listen to his words in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That is God's desire for your life. He wants your life to be lighter. He wants your life to be lighter. He wants more of less that weighs you down and stresses you out. And he knows us, and he knows that the only way that we're going to experience that, the only way for us to have more of less, is to fully commit to God. To fully commit. Proverbs 16.3 in the Old Testament says this, Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. I love that verse around this time of the year because, you know, it's, it's New Year's. We're all making plans. Some of us have aggressive plans, ambitious plans. I'm planning to lose 30 pounds like I've been planning for the last five or six years, you know, and actually it used to be 20, but I've done really poorly the last five or six years, so now it's 30. That's just how it goes. But, but it says, commit, commit your actions to the Lord and then your plans will succeed. And we hear that and it doesn't make us think of rest. We hear that phrase, commit to the Lord, and it doesn't make us go, oh, yes, finally less to, to worry about. In fact, it might stress us out. It might make us think, oh, okay, I'm not doing enough now. Because if I come to you and let's say we have a relationship and I say, hey, in this relationship, I just don't think you're committed enough. I need you to commit more. What do you hear? You don't hear, you know, take it easy, chill out. No, you hear, hey, do more. Dig a little deeper. Muster something extra. Go the extra mile. I need more from you. I need you to step up. I need you to give it your all. That's what we hear when, when someone uses the word commit, when we hear that phrase, commit, fully commit. And that, that idea matches that religious, oppressive view of God. It just so happens to be the opposite of what this verse is actually saying. It really is. See, in, in the Hebrew language, there's this word, and it's the word galal. Galal, that's the word that gets translated commit in our language. Hebrew is a really interesting language, especially the, the ancient Hebrew, because in ancient Hebrew, when this was written, they only had 10,000 words total. Okay, so to give you kind of an, an idea, some context to that, the Greek language that the New Testament is written in has 200,000 words. And ancient Hebrew had 10,000. So it was really common for one word in the Hebrew to mean like a variety of different things, depending on the context. There were, there were single words in the Hebrew that would mean whole sentences worth of information. And so it's actually really rare to find a word in the Hebrew that has a very singular use. It has, has one definition and it's very set. And this word galal that we translate commit, it's one of those words. And here's the definition of galal, the literal definition. If we were to translate this 100% literally, this is what it means. It means to roll away. Roll away. And that seems kind of like a strange definition for a word that we translate commit. Roll away. What in the world? It actually had a really specific usage. It was used in agriculture. It was used if you were a really hard laborer. Let's say you're like a stonemason. And you have this large rock, this huge stone. And you've got to get this stone to your place of business so you can, you can use it to build something. You can carve it into something. You have a couple options. You can either carry it yourself. You can pick it up and, and lift it and deal with the weight on your own. Or you could choose to galal the weight to roll it away onto a cart pulled by an oxen. 
That's what it meant. It meant to, to roll something heavy onto something else that's meant and designed to carry the weight. We actually have a similar meaning for commit. We just don't use it as often. If there's something that I'm incapable of doing, there's a problem or a situation, and I don't have what it takes to to fix it, to handle it, I can commit that problem to someone else. And in committing that problem to someone else, I no longer deal with it. It's now up to them. They're capable, and I'm not. See, when, when Proverbs says, commit your plans to the Lord, it's not saying do more. It's not saying bear down, knuckle up, come on, let's just, let's just give it our all. It's saying roll it away, give it to God. Take the weight and the burden off your shoulders and place it on God's. This is not God saying to you, hey, give it your all. This is God saying, give it all to me. Because I don't want you to carry the weight by yourself. And I don't want you to have to go through life burdened. I don't want you to have to go through life overwhelmed, feeling like you can barely get by. I want to help you. I don't get stressed out. That's what God says. I don't get overwhelmed. There's no weight in the world that I can't carry. So why don't you take some of the weight you're carrying and roll it to me. Commit it to my care. And let me carry it for you. Let me carry it with you. That is what God is asking us to do. And that is how we get some breathing room in life. When we become people ready and willing to roll away the burdens and the stress and the fears and the worries and we roll it onto the shoulders of our God who loves us. So when we understand commit in that context, it feels a lot different. We can read a verse like Psalm 37.5, which is really similar to Proverbs. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. See, now it makes a lot of sense. Commit. Let go. Give it to him. Take the weight of whatever is is wearing on you. Take the weight of whatever is, is weighing you down and roll it onto God's shoulders. Give it to him. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful to think about doing that, but it's, it's hard for us, right? I think, I think giving our issues and our problems over to God and really committing to him and making it a daily thing where we say, God, my, whatever I'm dealing with, I commit it to you. I need you to do this, God. I need, I need you to help me. I need you to fix this. I need you to, to give me the strength. I need you to do whatever you've got to do because I can't take it. I can't do it. It's hard for us to actually, to actually do that. We kind of get in our own way sometimes. We have this attitude, this mentality where we just feel like we have to do it ourselves. And sometimes we even fool ourselves into believing that if we can handle it, if we can do it, and we can just survive life, that'll impress God. He'll look at us and say, wow, you made it. You barely made it, but you made it. I'm impressed. See, God created you to live life, not survive life. And that's why he wants to help. But we have, to, we have to do our part. The only thing we have to do is actually commit, give it to him, trust him, pray over and over every day, God, I commit to you. God, this problem, you gotta do this. I'm, I'm giving it to you, I'm trusting you. You've gotta pull this through. God, you owe Bank of America a lot of money. You know, you need to get working. We have a hard time with that though because we, we wanna do it ourselves. I mentioned my daughter earlier, my, my beautiful daughter. I, okay. This is my daughter, Lily. Let me show you guys a picture just so you can understand, okay? That's two pictures side by side. She doesn't have two heads. But she, uh, she, she likes chocolate, as you can tell, and 
she's just, I look at her and she's beautiful and she's bald and she's lovely. And one day some boy is going to walk up to me and try to convince me that he is worthy of taking care of her for the rest of her life. And I'm just going to laugh because, I mean, I, I love her. I love her so much. She is, she is fierce. You can't tell it from this picture, but she is so determined. She is so independent. She is so opinionated. I've never known that you could pack so much attitude into such a small thing, but that is my daughter. And there's a phrase that she uses, and I hear it more than any other phrase that she says. I hear it more than I love you. I hear it more than I'm hungry. It's the phrase, I do it. That is her favorite thing to say right now. I hear it over and over again, multiple times throughout the day. And she doesn't just say it nonchalantly. She doesn't say, like, I do it. She's emphatic. In fact, she rolls all the words into one, like, one sound, and it's, I do it. Just like that, I do it. The I is really emphasized, I do it. And just to give you an example, I'll show you a little video that shows this. This is me trying to put Lily in her car seat. So take a look at this, you'll understand me. Hey, Lily, Lily, can I put you in the car? I do it. You do it? Yes. No, Lily, I'm, I'm going to put you in, okay? No. Lily, Lily, look at Daddy. Uh-huh. I'm going to put you in. No. Yes. No. 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 I do it. No, Lily. Uh-huh. Lily, can Daddy please help you? You're going to climb over your, your diaper bag? That seems kind of like a hard way to do it. So, that's my girl. She's awesome. I had to stop the video there because then I actually had to help her. She got stuck in the diaper bag. And, and in the rest of the video, and I just decided, I was like, this, is, this wouldn't be fair to show, but she's just screaming, crying. When I put her in the car seat, I do it, I do it, I do it. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's also kind of heartbreaking because here's the problem with, with her in the car seat. This happens every time we put her in. She can't do it. She can't. She is physically incapable of, of getting herself in that seat and buckling it all together and tightening. She can't do it. And she is stressing herself out every single time we go somewhere, trying to do something she's not meant to do. And I, I want more than anything for her just to let me help. Because there are things in life that I want her to do. I want her to learn that she can do it. I, I give her a lot of freedom. I want her to grow in confidence. I'm not going to do everything for her. But when it comes to those things that I know she can't do, I don't want to watch her hurting, stressed out, angry, confused. I don't want to see her overwhelmed by trying to do something she can't do. And God feels the same way about you. He really does. And see, if we want less stress, if we want less pressure this year, this cannot be an I do it year. 2016 cannot be a year where your predominant attitude with your life and your problems is I do it, I'll do it myself. If you want less stress and less pressure, you want less burden in your life, then this needs to be the year where you commit to God like never before, where you say, God, you do it. I want to roll it away to you. Help me. Help me, God. And he will, because he loves you. Because he feels every bit as in love with you as I feel when I look at my daughter. In fact, it's more so. What he's asking for today from you is more of the stuff that you want less of. And the only question is, are you willing to give it away? Worship team, if you guys would, would come up, we're going to finish with 
a little bit more worship like we always do because it's just awesome to worship God. I want to read Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 again. We read this a few minutes ago, but I want us to read this and reflect on this, understanding what Jesus is really offering, understanding this commitment idea where he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. So I just asked this morning, does anyone relate to that? Is anyone here carrying a heavy burden? Did you walk in here today holding on to something that weighs you down? Some pressure, some stress, some bit of uncertainty in your life. Did you come in carrying something heavy today? He says, I will give you rest. So take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. If you would like a light burden today, it is yours. If you would like the load lightened, you can have that. And it's one word, it's commit. And, and I don't want you to do this, this flippantly. I don't want you to do this because we're all in a big room together and you're like, okay, this is what we got to do. Um, we don't do a lot of hand raising and stuff like that, mandatory raising hands, things like that. But, but I, I'm just wondering, and this needs to be out of conviction, but is there anyone, anyone here this morning that would be so bold to say, you know what? This is not going to be an I do it year for me. I am going to commit more to God than I ever have before. I'm going, to, I'm going to roll away the burden to God. Is anyone ready for that in your life? Because see, when we do that, when we do that, and that's beautiful, I love the person holding up two hands. Hey, Nancy, that's Nancy, right? Yeah, I see you. Nancy's very enthusiastic. See, when we do that, this amazing thing happens. God gets glory. When we commit to God, we have this powerful thing that I think all of us really desire and the church word for it is a testimony. We have the ability one day to look someone in the eye and say, let me tell you what God did for me. I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. But God could and he did and he'll do it for you as well. And you're going to know someone one day. You're going to talk to someone one day. They're, they're carrying a burden that's too heavy for them to carry. They're carrying a burden they're not meant to carry. And they're, they're overwhelmed, and they're stressed, and they're pressured, and you see it in their eyes, and you love them, and you know them, and you can look at them and say, let me tell you what to do. Let me help you do what I did. You need to commit it to God, and you need to watch what God does, because he's going to do something. That's what we get to do when we commit. But it, it has to start with us. It has to start right now. It has to start with our hearts saying to him, I'm done being an I do it person and I am ready to give it all to you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for your love, for your, your passion for us. Jesus, you, you desire to take on all the things that stress us out. And that does not make a lot of sense except for the fact that you love us. That you would love us so much that you would look at us and say, all the stuff that weighs you down, let me take it. God, give us the courage to roll it all the way to you. To commit it to you. And to walk out of this room today feeling lighter. And we need that. We want that. We want more of it, Lord, more of less. 
We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.